and welcome in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Happy Saturday, everybody. It is Saturday, December 12th. I am saying the date because it is a special date, at least to me. It is my birthday. Yes, 28 years young today, and it's great to spend it with you on the Sports Kiki. You can find us wherever you can find your favorite out-sports podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are there. Um, I have a microphone this week, so happy birthday to me. That's a great birthday present. It's a great uh, gift for you all, the listeners. You know, I like to give you a professional product here. Uh, unfortunately, I uh, could not quite get the microphone working for my interview today, so <laughs> once again, most of the episode, I'll just be talking into my Mac, but for now, don't I sound good? Look at this. This is good. I'm proud of myself. I set it up. I did everything, only had... Maybe a couple mental breakdowns, but I knew they would pass. I knew they would pass, and that's the important thing. Um, I'll tell you about our guest in a minute, but first, uh, I do want to plug myself because, well, it's my podcast, number one, and number two, it's my birthday. Uh, I am very proud of the feature story I wrote this week on bi athletes coming out and fighting against bi erasure. Uh, Check it out. Out Sports, Jack Storrs, Zach Sullivan. Uh, Andrew Ford, Megan Duthart. Uh, we had a great cast of uh, characters. Uh, so cool. Great stories. And, um, you know, hopefully it impacts the way some people think because I'm not perfect here. I remember saying uh, many times at the start of my time at EEI, uh, oh, you know, bi people, they're just they're just gays who haven't come to grips with it yet. Or, oh, yeah, I can turn a bi guy gay. Just, you know, give me a minute. Like, you know, all that stupid shit. Um, so I'm guilty of it, too. Um, and, you know, I think Andrew Ford, who wrote a coming out story on Outsports last year, a soccer player, he went to a small uh, private Catholic uh, liberal arts school in Ohio, um, you know, he made the point that bi people, uh, A, it's seen as a stepping stone stage, and, and B, bi people have to come out continuously. You know, for, for, for us, you know, if I say to my boyfriend, hey, I have to tell you something, I'm gay. He's like, well, yeah, of course you are. Uh, it's not the case for bi people. They have to come out all the time to their partners, and still a, a lot of Americans, I would venture to guess probably the majority of Americans, still you know, sexuality, uh, we view it as this black and white thing, not the fluid thing that it actually is. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And uh, I think, and the other thing is too, as uh, we talked about in October with Jeff, with Jeff Reuter, the uh, soccer writer for The Athletic, who uh, talked about coming out as bi on the show, uh, name a famous bisexual man besides Frank Ocean. <laughs> you, you really struggle to do it. So with more of these stories, we say it all the time. We get more visibility, and that's the way to really enact change. So toot my own horn. Check that out. But it also is, I think, a, uh, a really interesting and important topic. Um, also an update on Derek Gordon, who always resonates with me. Derek Gordon came out as gay as a UMass Minuteman in 2014, part of that wave of uh, high-profile football and basketball players who were coming out. I remember reading his coming out story and out sports in a journalism class at BU. Um, well, Derek Gordon, I talked to them a little bit over Twitter on Friday. He was called the F word uh, at a game in Cyprus, um, which is terrible to hear, obviously. But he says his teammates supported him, which is nice to hear. And that you, know, you go back to what Colin Martin and what happened with him in October, where his soccer team forfeited the game 
after he was called a homophobic slur. Uh, we've seen athletes, uh, even at the highest levels of pro male sports, uh, have their teammates' backs in these kind of situations. And at least from what Derek Gordon tells us, uh, this story is also similar. So check it all out, out sports. You know, got to plug, got to plug the machine, got to plug us here. You know, if I'm, if we don't do it, nobody else will. Uh, so check us out. Always great stuff there. Um, and speaking of great, Allison Gill is my guest today. Who is Allison Gill? She is the vice president of legal and policy for American Atheists. Uh, who are American Atheists. They are a non-religious advocacy organization. She's here to talk about their new report, The Tipping Point Generation, America's Non-Religious Youth. Uh, It draws on survey responses from nearly 34,000 non-religious participants ages 18 and above. And there are some very interesting findings about LGBTQ youth that I talked to Allison about. And, you know, I think also make the point that, and this is something I've come to as I've gotten older in life, on my 28th birthday after all, that, you know, religion is, for so many communities, and really throughout time, the church or the temple or the mosque or whatever your house of worship is, has been the center of a community. And that's what it represents, a community, togetherness. And when we lose organized religion, yes, we become more secular, and I fully support that, obviously, as a gay man, but... Uh, also, I think that at Outsports, we tell a lot of stories about how gay people, LGBTQ people, they come out and they've never felt closer to God. They've never felt their relationship with religion has been stronger since coming out. Uh, we've profiled the only out athlete, the first out athlete at BYU, who talked about the support she received from her peers and communities. So, so that's number one. It's not black and white. And on top of that, it's, it's about community. You know, these days, especially as we enter the winter surge of COVID and I mean, enter, we're in the middle of it, uh, you know, told to lock down, stay at home, that draconian messaging is back. It's any anything that results in us further losing community is a bad thing. And that's why, you know, this relig- the religion issue for someone who considers himself secular is not always black and white. So we talked to, so I talked to Allison Gill a bit about that as well. Uh, so that's coming up on the sports Kiki. Um, I do also want to encourage everybody. It's my birthday. I'm going to self plug away to check out my Substack, reamer.substack.com. Uh, I have a birthday post up there, a message to my younger self, uh, to just calm the F down. You know, um, uh, I've spent my entire life obsessing over my career Uh, Early on, growing up, it was a way for me to avoid thinking about being gay. It was much easier to think about booking the next podcast guest, but uh, I haven't learned many lessons over my 28 years. I've been fortunate to live a great and privileged existence, but one lesson I have learned is that your work can be taken away from you. So uh, you better find another way to get yourself worth. And I've spent so much of my life making myself so crazy Overwork and it's hard as a freelancer. It's hard to not let it overtake you. Um, but trying to calm down and I'm trying to listen to that more than more, and I have a year to work on it. So and I don't like to impart wisdom. So you guys know I stumble over my own words a lot. Uh, you know, I mispronounce a million things. So uh, not my area of expertise. I just learned how to scramble eggs over the last year, but uh, I've learned to celebrate things like that. So that's the uh, wisdom I would like to impart on the masses as we get ready for Allison Gill, Vice President of Legal and Policy for American Atheists. She's coming up next on the Sports Kiki. 
Technical difficulties never stopped us in the podcasting world. Allison Gill is on the line. She's the vice president of legal and policy for the American Atheists, as we were explaining in the opening, they're a non-religious advocacy organization. She's here to talk about their new report, The Tipping Point Generation, America's Non-Religious Youth. Some really interesting stuff here, especially as it pertains to LGBTQ youth. Allison, thanks for bearing with me. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, yes. Good to connect here on a good line. So let's start off with this overall question. What kind of work does your organization do? Sure. We focus on a few different issues concerning civil rights of, of non-religious people and atheists. We focus, for example, on maintaining a strong separation of religion and government and for pushing back against areas uh, where we feel like religion harms people. Like, for example, um, areas that are really driven by religious sort of beliefs. For example, we, we fight against conversion therapy uh, mm -hmm. because that's sort of driven by religious beliefs and things like faith healing, um, child marriage, a few different yeah. issues like that. But also focusing primarily on the separation of religion and government and stopping broad religious exemptions that allow for discrimination, for example. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive into this report, The Tipping Point Generation, America's Non-Religious Youth. You drew on survey responses from nearly 34,000 non-religious participants ages 18 and above. And, you mm -hmm. know, from reading a lot of the survey, I think your general point is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, yes, America is becoming more secular and you cite all of the statistics. Um, it's amazing to me that nearly 50% of kids 18 to 25 are religiously unaffiliated. But despite all of that, you know, well, maybe not despite is the wrong word, but even though we have all of those numbers, there's still a sizable amount of discrimination that non-religious kids face. Yes, that's exactly, exactly right. I mean, America is still very culturally religious, yeah. um, especially in certain areas of the country. And because of that, people, it's not just non-religious people, I think minority religious people as well, face a certain level of discrimination and stigma for their beliefs. And, you know, I think that's not really recognized in our society, especially for those of us who live in areas that are more um, religiously diverse or not very religious. Uh, we sometimes don't see what's happening in other areas, especially because it doesn't affect us as much. So one of the reasons we're doing this important work is to bring, you know, bring attention to that issue. Yeah. And what were uh, what were some of the big takeaway findings? Well, with regard to the youth report specifically, um, we found that there was a high level of discrimination in things like education for non-religious young people. We found that a third of uh, non-religious young people who we surveyed had encountered some form of education discrimination based on their beliefs. And in um, very religious areas, that's about three times higher. So it's, it's an incredibly large amount of discrimination. We also found a large amount of family rejection. Um, and I know that LGBTQ people hear about this a lot regarding LGBTQ populations because there's a large amount of family rejection there. But as you might suspect, if there is, um, you know, thinking intersectionally, if a person is both LGBTQ and non-religious, there's, uh, we found an even heightened rate of family rejection in those cases. So um, it's important to note. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think the exact, I think I have the exact number here. So um for youths for kids whose parents were aware of their non-religious beliefs uh more than one third about 37 and a half percent said their parents were somewhat or very unsupportive of their identity but for lgbtq kids that number rose to 40.4 percent so 
What does that say? Because I found that to be very interesting. Yeah, it's, I think it's 40 versus something like 34%. That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> So um, I think, excuse me, it, it has to do with, um, I think it has to do with um, the, the fact that there is a misunderstanding of what being non-religious means, even among families that are somewhat accepting of non-religious people. And the same is true for, I think, people that are, um, you know, when a child uh, comes out as non-religious, um, if they were to then come out as LGBTQ, there's not always a lot overlapping understanding among family. So I think that just having multiple identities that are face discrimination and oppression, um, and we see this in lots of different areas throughout our society, when people have multiple identities that are stigmatized, it's just a higher rate of rejection, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I also thought what was interesting was that uh, the concept of stigma around religion and how LGBTQ youth experience more of it in comparison to straight and heterosexual youth. Two questions here. What is that concept of stigma around religion and how do LGBTQ kids experience more of it in comparison to uh, their straight peers? That's a great question. So the way we measured stigma was by looking at what we call microaggressions against people because of their non-religious beliefs. And mm -hmm. so this is actually based on research that was um, pioneered, uh, I guess, sort of among LGBTQ young people. So there is a research looking at stigma among LGBTQ young people, and researchers developed similar types of questions focusing on non-religious young people and asking questions about, for example, how often they face rejection uh, in their families because of their beliefs, how often they are asked to pretend to be religious, just items that don't themselves amount to discrimination, but that cumulatively basically um, other a person or make them feel like their beliefs are less than or not part of society. Though that's what we mean by stigma, when someone is basically pushed to the margins and are not seen as sort of normal or accepted. And we know that LGBTQ young people face that, but we also know that it affects non-religious people as well. Right, absolutely. Um, but, you know, part of the stigma that you were talking about is uh, sections above, uh, sections, I, I can find it here, about, um, you know, reactions to religious symbols and other things of that sort. And it said that LGBTQ people suffer about 9% more stigma on average to, to others. Does that explain that further? Sure, of course. So we found that um, non-religious youth in general were facing stigma that was about one quarter higher compared to the older participants of the survey, of the mm -hmm. uh, U.S. secular survey. And even on top of that, we found that LGBTQ non-religious youth had about 10% more stigma on top of what the heightened rate that non-religious um, young people face in general. So there is definitely a higher level of stigma there. Um, not just for non-religious youth, but particularly for LGBTQ non-religious youth. And, you know, a lot of these results, we don't exactly know what is the sociological function behind what we're seeing. I think that's something that's going to require more research. But I think this is helpful because it identifies some of where these problems are. Like, we've never seen data like this before. We don't actually have um, a lot of information about this previously. This is sort of groundbreaking research. Yeah, absolutely. And it's super interesting. Um, and, you know, something that you also identified that I don't think is all that surprising is that youth who identify as LGBTQ um, say they are 10% more lonely than cisgender 
in heterosexual youth. And, you know, I look at that and I look at really the downfall of community we have as a society Mm. and how for so many decades, you know, the church or the temple was really, yes, it was a religious place, but it was really more than anything, a place of community and a place where people gathered in person and belonged. And, you know, we will end this pandemic one day and, you know, I'm afraid those numbers will only skyrocket. And uh, just curious for kind of your thoughts about that, where I understand there's a lot of stigma that comes with more of the dogmatic versions of religion. But, you know, I think it can play such a huge role in terms of giving people a community. I think you're exactly right. And especially in more religious parts of this country, it's still true that the church is sort of a center of community life and is used, um, you know, that's where community sociality happens, right? That's where people meet each other and organize. It's like a part of part of the community. And it's probably less true in like large cities and in less religious areas, but in, mm-hmm. in many places that is certainly true. And we, prior to doing these surveys, we actually did a focus groups with non-religious people just to get an idea of the sort of things we should be asking. And we hear that over and over again, that basically since people have left religion, that they have felt like they lack community and they've been more lonely. It's one of the reasons we asked about it. And so we measured this among youth and adults, and we found that it is significantly higher uh, among different non-religious populations. It's one of the reasons that American atheists and other non-religious organizations focus on community building for Hmm. non-religious people, whether in person or virtually. We really encourage it because we found through the report that it can decrease negative outcomes, like those who were involved with local or national organizations actually had um, less rates of depression. And so it helps ease loneliness and, you know, depression issues. And we see to see better outcomes. It's very similar. I used to to work at the... um, the Trevor Project, and I really, uh, their work is fantastic. They focus on LGBTQ youth suicide. And one of the major things they do to address that is create these online forums. So they build community among LGBTQ young people who might feel isolated or alone because they're the only person where they live. And I think we're seeing similar phenomena here. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said, and that's so important. And like, we tell a lot of great stories on Outsports, but the stories that you know, some of the stories that I like most are, you know, we have profiled the, the, an, an out athlete at BYU who came out and then found she was very much supported by her community. And, you know, we tell stories of some athletes who say that they feel their faith is stronger after coming out. And, uh, you know, I think especially today with, and you touch on this in your survey about, you know, even for maybe religious people, America is just getting more secular. Um, but I, I think that, you know, th- th- that's a good thing too. And I think it's an important message to hammer that, uh, this is really about community and all things and losing that in any aspect is unfortunate. And then it's how do we replicate that in another avenue? Right. And give people an opportunity to build those relationships and have that community for themselves. Another point you just raised was around, I guess, concealment, right? Concealment sure. of one's identity. And we found a high level of concealment for young people of their non-religious identities. It was significantly higher than it is for adults. Um, especially among their families uh, and really every area of their lives except for education. So that can often be like an avenue for people to sort of be themselves and make their beliefs known among their friends and have support. But it was really significant. And we know from other studies, of course, that concealment um, of one's identity can have really negative repercussions in terms of things like depression or like um, 
not being able to form real attachments and bonds, it can, it can have real negative impacts. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, so a, a few more things I wanted to, to hit on um, mm. in regard about this survey. Um, in terms of the, the, the respondents, so 58% of respondents were straight and heterosexual, 44.5% were LGBTQ. Maybe I'm reading this entirely wrong. But the way I read that was, that was interesting to me because I thought that, you know, traditionally LGBTQ kids, especially if they identify as out when they're younger, stereotypically, they may be more, you know, not as involved in religion, maybe more strayed from their families. I was surprised that out of your respondents, it was significantly, significantly lower than straight respondents. Am I reading that correctly? What do you make of that data? Well, I, I, it's significantly higher. It was nearly 50% of the subpopulation, you know, that are youth were LGBTQ in some way. Um, that's significantly higher than the general population, like mm. much, much higher. The right. general population of LGBTQ people in our society is, you know, somewhere around 5% right. or take. Right? Correct. So the numbers are very much amplified, but this is not representative of the entire population of non-religious people. Hmm. Uh, still, we just had an incredibly large amount of LGBTQ people take the survey. Um, and we also saw a very high rate of trans and gender nonconforming people just separately. About 10% of young people identified as trans or gender nonconforming, which was significantly higher than the general population as well. So yeah. I, think it, I think we might be seeing things like this, these kinds of numbers, because, you know, often LGBTQ young people, um, as they come out to themselves, they might move away from religion and identify in more of a non-religious way. I mean, we know the stats generally for LGBTQ people in this country, um, about, about a half, maybe a little less, maybe somewhere between 40% and a half are religiously unaffiliated. So that's just a huge number um, that I don't think gets enough attention among LGBTQ communities generally. Yeah. I mean, what's amazing is young people age 18 to 25 were 3.7 times as likely to identify as trans or gender nonconforming. And they, that shows right there, this Generation Z, they really, uh, they're really much more fluid and uh, much more willing to explore than, you know, I'm 27 than even, even I, kids were my, my age and I'm, I'm a young millennial. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, so, uh, what what are what what are some big things as we look as we head towards oh, oh before that though I wanted to also ask about this um you know mm-hmm. I, overall though you know I think if you conducted this survey years ago like numbers mm-hmm. like this that about twenty five percent of non religious kids say they're frequently asked to pretend they are religious by their parents I mean I'm there's no way to know this concretely but I imagine even. 20 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, I think that number would be much, much, much higher. Um, So overall, you know, I think that shows that as kind of to start off a premise that discrimination still exists, but this is a much more secular country now than it it ever has been. That's definitely true. The United States is becoming more and more secular over time, and it's increasing in speed as well. I mean, the numbers show that just an incredible number of young people, nearly 50%, are not religiously affiliated, right? But I think the report also shows that's happening unevenly across the country. And so, I mean, we can't say what the numbers looked like years ago, but in certain places of the country, it's just as religious now as it was 30 years ago or yeah. even more. So that has 
you know, that has consequences when there's that sort of deviation. And, you know, not only just people increasingly are really stigmatized and attacked by certain sort of religious beliefs, um, you know, religious uh, groups in the country, particularly in more very religious areas. So um, I'm not sure what that will look like as for those young people in those places over time. And what are you looking for as we head towards 2021 and a, a new administration as well in Washington? Well, we're certainly preparing. Uh, we're, we're putting together, for example, uh, ways that we can ensure that religious equality is protected. I feel like the current administration has done so many things to roll back protections for non-religious people, for LGBTQ people, and so many others that we're going to work on reversing those um, and see what we can see that we can do better policies to protect people and, and give them real religious freedom as opposed to sort of um, discrimination coded as religious freedom that we too often see. Uh, and we're also focused, of course, on state-level work because there's so much to be done, um, particularly in places where we're seeing this level of discrimination. Absolutely. Allison Gill, she's the Vice President of Legal and Policy for American Atheists. Allison, thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated. So thank you all for tuning in to episode number 44 of the Sports Kiki. Again, a big thanks go out to Allison Gill. Uh, interesting conversation. Hopefully you all enjoyed listening to it. As always, please, please hit me up on Twitter at AlexReamer1. Against my better judgment, my DMs are open. If you ever have any show ideas, let me know there. Otherwise, I'll talk to you guys next Saturday. So long.